0: To class in the school of prayer. It's good to be with you guys. Um, It's always wonderful to look at God's word and hear what He has to say. And we're going to be continuing our series in the school of prayer and thinking about prominent figures in the Bible and their prayers and what God teaches us through their prayers. And today in Psalm 51, we're looking at the prayer of David. Um, And this is arguably one of his most famous prayers. And I'm really glad that it's in God's word because. As Andrew said, this touches on a really difficult topic that I think a lot of us Christians, we grapple with, and and it's repentance. It's coming to God, confessing our sin, and repenting of it. And why do we find it hard? Why is it hard? Well, I think it can be quite awkward, confronting, uh, you know, having to lay all your sins before God. Or maybe you associate confession and repentance with uh, talking to someone through a door, and that's not really your thing. Or if you're thinking, actually, I don't really see a problem with my sin, or if maybe I don't actually have a problem with sin. And so there's no need to repent. And my prayer for us today is to see why repenting of our sin is a crucial aspect of the Christian life. I, hope, I pray that we would see uh, that God is gracious with us, um, and this would help us to grow in our prayer life in our love and affection of Jesus. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself clearly to us through your word. Lord, thank you that um, your word speaks to every aspect of our lives. And Lord, please humble us before you today that we may have eager hearts to listen um, and that we willingly yeah, take and heed um, the wisdom of your Bible and yeah we apply it in our lives. And Lord, we pray most of all that this would grow our love for you. Um, so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, seeing that we're in, at the school of prayer, we're going to do a quick history lesson uh, about David, or just simply looking at what's happened in David's life up until this point. So David, he was a man of God. Uh, he had God's favor on him from a young age. Um, he had many skills. He played the harp to King Saul. Uh, and God helps him defeat the big giant from Philistine, Goliath. Um, God kept him safe when he was on the run from Saul. Saul was after his life. And God also had favour on David um, by helping him conquer many nations. Um, His favour also grew in the sight of God's people and they made him king of Israel. David deeply loved his God. He actually got given the title A Man After God's Own Heart. What a great title that would be. He was the faithful king that Israel were longing for. Or was he? In 2 Samuel we read about an instance where David is on the roof of his palace. And he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And so he summons her up to his, um, his room and he sleeps with her. This lady's name is Bathsheba. And she already has a husband named Uriah who is fighting on the front lines of battle. And what makes matters worse is that through this affair he has, Bathsheba falls pregnant. So instead of David confessing his sin in this moment... He tries a few tricks to cover it up. And so he, he has Uriah uh, come home and he, he asks him to spend time with his wife so that it would look like he uh, and his wife became pregnant. But this didn't work. and So David, uh, he went to extreme measures and he had Uriah put in the front line of battle where it was most likely he would die. And that's what happened. He, he died and David took Bathsheba as his own wife. You must be thinking, what are you doing, David? (laughs) You're King David. You're the one who's supposed to rule over the nation and set an example for your people. Instead, he's committing adultery and covering it up with more sin by murdering him. So God sends a prophet, Nathan, um, to confront David about his sin. Uh, And instead of just rebuking him straight away, he tells him an account of injustice in the land. He says there's this rich man who's been very greedy and he's been taking from the poor. And David burns with anger. He wants to enact justice and he wants to bring judgment on whoever did this. And then Nathan turns to him and says, David, you are that man who enacted injustice. You've acted evil. You've done evil in God's sight. And now because of this, there'll be much sorrow brought on your life. Even your own wives will be taken from you and given to people who were close to you. And how does David respond to this? How is this fair, God? I'm your faithful King David. How could you do this? No, he doesn't say that. It would have been tempting for him to do this, though. Instead, he comes to God in humble repentance. And this is what we have in Psalm 51. So to help us unpack Psalm 51, please have your Bibles open. Um, there's three main points I have, which is the diagnosis, the remedy, and the outcome. About four years ago, I was uh, on a soccer team, as you probably have, would know, and I, um, <laughs> I often use soccer analogies. But after, uh, after each game, I was finding myself pull, pulling out really tight, had a really tight muscle, and I thought, I'll just do a self-diagnosis. I'll... Um, which is never a good idea, especially if you don't know anything about physio or that kind of stuff. And so I just thought, I'll stretch it out, I'll warm it up before the games, it'll be fine. Uh, but as the season went on, it just kept getting worse. It, it even infected, it affected my playing ability. Uh, and I started to realise a lump. This isn't good, right? You want to realise a lump. And so, actually, this is kind of embarrassing because my brother's here, but I, uh, I went to my brother and I said, dude, I don't know what this lump is about. And he's like, bro, I've got one too. LAUGHTER and so we eventually, we went and got it diagnosed, we went and got it checked out, and it turns out we both had a hernia. I know what you're thinking, a young, fit fella like me, how do I have a hernia? Eventually, yeah, we go to the doctors, we get the diagnosis, and it wasn't until then that we could fix our problem. This was the same for David. He needed a true diagnosis of his sin before anything could be done about it. His problem with sin was now threatening his relationship with God. So he diagnoses his two main problems with sin. The first one is he identifies his sin is first and foremost against God. Look with me at verse 4. It says, "Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight." Hang on a minute. Haven't we just heard that David has sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba? How can he say that he's only sinned against God? Well, David was very familiar with God's nature. And he knew that um, God called his people to be holy, just as God was holy. And this greatly bothered David because now he knew his offense was directly against God and against God's very nature, because God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. So how could God possibly look on David favorably? David realizes that his problem with sin is mostly a vertical problem between him and God. I think we fall into the trap of sometimes thinking that our sin is only horizontal. It affects other people, or maybe that only, it actually doesn't affect anyone. We must realise, like David, that we've sinned against God first and foremost. And when we realise this, it actually it raises the stakes for our sin against others. Because now it's not just sin against other people, it's sin against someone made in the image of God. So we're sinning against God's creation himself. So David gets the order right. He confesses his sin to God first, and that should compel him to ask for forgiveness from others. David also proves that he understands that his sin is against God. In verse 4, later on, he acknowledges that God is justified to judge him. God is justified to do whatever he wants with him. And David will accept that punishment. That's That's actually not his main concern, though. The earthly consequences. What's mainly bothering David is that he, the weight of his sin means that he might be separated from God. And that's the worst thing of all. He will do anything to remain in the presence of God. We hear, him, we hear that cry in verse 11, don't we? Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. David knows that his only hope is to actually rely on God's mercy. Hear his deep longing for God to wash him clean so that he may be united to God again. In verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If we break down these three words he uses that are related to sin, it helps us understand why David is so reliant on God's mercy. Firstly, transgression, that means willingly overstepping the mark, willingly overstepping the mark and the commands that God has set before him. Secondly, um, iniquity, it speaks of the immorality and the impurity in our hearts. So it's more than just actions, it's actually a heart issue going on. And lastly, the word sin is closely related to the word inability. He's unable to live God's way. Do you see? Do you see what's going on here? David doesn't realize that his offenses are just against God, but he realizes he's unable to live God's way. He's gotten the diagnosis of sin right. I'm not sure if you've ever attempted archery before. It's kind of one of those random sports. Uh, but when I was in primary school, I went on a school camp, uh, and I was horrible at it. I had I had the technique horribly. Um, yeah, it was. I actually didn't make the target most of the time. It was just falling short. So most people, when they do archery, it's like they miscue it. You know, They might miss, but mine were just falling short. Uh, and for David, he realizes that his actions weren't just miscued attempts. They were a true expression of the warped person he had always been. So David diagnoses his second problem with sin, which is that his sinful heart prevents him from living God's way. Even if God showed him mercy, David knew that when, when time goes on, he won't be able to obey God and live for him faithfully. Read what, he, read what he says in verse 5. It's quite astounding. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Even from the point of conception, David realizes his heart was inclined not towards God. The root problem wasn't his sinful actions, but it was also the sinful heart behind what he did. It wasn't just the adultery and the murder that was wrong with what he did. It was the sin that led to that sin, the greed and the lust coveting his neighbor's wife. Even Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. I reckon David's diagnosis of sin here is one of the most accurate diagnoses in all of the Old Testament. He's not a good person and he can't live up to God's standards. So it's probably a good time for us to stop and reflect on our own hearts. Have you diagnosed your sinful heart as being your biggest problem? Or do you actually think you're doing okay? That you're mostly good with a little bit of sin on the side? Because the answer to this question will define how we respond to sin whether we will confess and repent or whether we won't. So if you, think, if you think you're mostly a good person, it means that when you sin, you won't want to come to God in that gross feeling. Like, this isn't me. So we might distract ourselves with things like doing jobs or watching Netflix or even you know, doing good things to make us feel better about ourselves. And then we come to God later when we're feeling a bit better. Or if you think you're mostly good, maybe uh, when you catch yourself falling into sin, in serious sin, you think, how could I do this? You fall into despair. You curse yourself instead of coming to God and repenting of it. If you resonate with either of these responses, as I'm sure a lot of us have done from time to time, then we have fallen into a case of works righteousness which means we look inwardly to try to fix the problem of sin rather than looking outside ourselves. Which makes sense, right? Because if the problem is inside us, the solution can't also come from inside of us. So like David, our only hope is to pray to God and ask, create in me a clean and pure heart. He needs a complete heart transplant. And the Lord is the only one who can make that happen. So, we've seen David's two diagnoses of sin, uh, and they they can be summed up in these prayers. Firstly, my sin is against you alone, God, so please have mercy on me. And secondly, my sinful heart prevents me from living your way, God, so give me a clean heart that desires your ways. And I reckon these are two of the most important prayers that we could pray. Have you prayed them? If you have, take heart. Know that God has forgiven you and he has given you a new heart. He has done this completely in Jesus. He is the only remedy for our sin and our sinful hearts. This psalm was written nearly a thousand years before Jesus came. And for someone who didn't know what the remedy was yet, someone who hadn't seen Jesus, David's confidence in God's character is is astounding, isn't it? He didn't even know... who Jesus was yet. But how much greater confidence we can we have because we know Jesus. We can be forgiven and have a new heart. If you've never repented of your sin and asked for forgiveness, I want to ask you why. Are you too ashamed of the things that you've done or think that you're too beyond God's forgiveness? Just take a look at who wrote this psalm. David, the one who committed adultery and had him murdered. David's life teaches us that no sin is, is out of reach of God forgiving them. And actually, if you have that mindset, you're, you're halfway there. You realize that I, I, have, I can't fix my problem of sin. I need someone's help. And this is why God sent his son on the cross to save you. So repent and, and receive forgiveness. Praise Jesus, Praise Jesus absolutely. Absolutely. If you've, if you've never repented of your sin because you actually haven't diagnosed the problem of sin yet, I want to tell you that your life actually isn't your own. It's a gift from God, the one who made you. And the Bible tells us that we have all turned away from him, every single one of us. And we've tried to make ourselves the gods of our own lives. And because of this, we must repent of our sin and turn back to God. And he is faithful to forgive us and welcome us into his family. So how exactly is Jesus the remedy? I'm glad you asked. Thanks for asking. Let's have a look at David's prayer and what he asks specifically and how Jesus answers that. Verse 1, David prays, blot out my transgressions. Essentially, make my record clean against you, God. In God's response, we can read in Colossians 3, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus, being perfect when we couldn't be, he paid the debt for us. Then in verse 7, David prays, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. The ritual of being cleansed with hyssop was only a temporary fix. It didn't actually fix the problem. It was only pointing forward to what Jesus would do. In God's response in Hebrews 7, he, Jesus, sacrificed himself for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Ongoing sacrifices and cleansings are no longer required. There's actually nothing we can do. But Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice once and for all, even covering all sin past and, and, um, and behind as well. Um, past and behind is, is the same thing he covered david's sin he's covered our sin he's covered all sin in verse 9 he prays hide your face away from my sins god hides his face away from our sins because he hid his face away from jesus when he was on the cross god's anger against sin has been completely cast onto jesus so now when god looks at us he sees jesus as righteousness Again in verse 14, David prays, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. David could not rid himself of the guilt in his heart. I'm sure that we felt that from time to time. That feeling of guilt that comes comes with shame as well. It's crushing. Feels like we can't live with ourselves. But when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't only pardon us of the crime, he pardoned us of the guilty conscience as well. So we can come to God and call him Father. And have no guilt and shame so we've looked at how jesus is the remedy for our sin so how is jesus the remedy for our sinful hearts how does he create in us a clean heart well before we accepted jesus we were slaves to sin we actually couldn't please god and moving towards god on our own was impossible so instead god moved towards us in jesus And his death and resurrection actually breaks the power that sin had over us. Romans 6 tells us, If you have been united to Christ through his death and resurrection, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. The old is gone and the new has come. It's as though we've been given a heart transplant and now we have God's power working in us by his spirit to say yes to God. One of my favorite verses uh, of recent has been Philippians 2.13. And it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. See, God's spirit doesn't just help us to obey God, but it helps us to actually want to obey him by first loving his ways. For, and for David, and in David's time, the spirit could be taken away from people, such as King Saul. When he hardened his heart to God, the spirit was taken from him. But for us, we can have assurance that if our trust is in Christ, God's Spirit will never leave us. So what is the outcome of all this? How should we respond? Well, it's simple. Come to God in prayer, confess your sins and repent of it. While we're here on earth, as you may have noticed, uh, our sinful desires, they still linger. uh, And we still fall into sin. But this doesn't disqualify you. Hear me clearly that if your trust is in Jesus, you can know for certain that you have been washed clean. But the danger is, if we're not aware of our lingering sin in our hearts, if we don't come and repent of it to God, we actually might get out of touch and forget God's grace he's shown towards us. We might become hardened to him. Don't let this happen. How can we, make, how can we avoid this happening and make sure that we pursue God in, in repentance? Or well, like David, don't make excuses for your sin. Don't blame your sin on others as if you had no other choice or you feel pressured to do it. Own it and confess it. Secondly, don't compare your sin with others. We all know what we're doing when we do that. We, just, we want to justify what we've done and make us feel better about our own shortfallings. And this is actually what the devil wants. He wants us to be comfortable with our sin and compare it to others and not see the need to be saved from it. To come to God, repent. And thirdly, don't be comfortable with sin in your life. There's, maybe there's parts of your life that you know are falling short. Or you know that, oh, that's been lingering in my life. But it's okay, I'll deal with it one day. Or, you know, these other aspects of my life are really great, so it's, it's okay. I want to say, don't let sin slide. Bring it before God. And instead, pray prayers such as, God, reveal to me my sinful ways that maybe I'm not even aware of. And pray that God would reveal to you the seriousness of your sin. How should we come to God? Well, in verse 17, David talks about coming to God with a broken and contrite heart, which is a humble heart that knows how little it deserves, but how much it has received in Jesus. Come to him humbly. With a broken and contrite heart, repent of your sin. This could be awkward at first if you're not used to doing it. But repentance isn't something to be ashamed of. See it as a wonderful opportunity to come before God, lay your sins bare, and be reminded of his abundant grace he's shown to you in Jesus. Be honest with God about your sin. Be honest with your struggles and the temptations that you're trying to fight. And pray that God would help you by his spirit to say no to ungodliness. Even though it's really tempting. To say no and to say yes to living his way and holiness. It's only through repentance that we can actually grow in holiness. And as believers, repentance ought to be a regular part of our prayers. Even every day. The more we repent, the more we can understand the joy of salvation. Which is what David was after, wasn't he? David knew that if God could forgive him and give him a clean heart, he would overflow with joy. So brothers and sisters, we have been forgiven. Be joyful in the Lord and feel your prayers with praise. Like in verse 1, praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his unfailing love. Praise God for his great compassion. That him, being a perfect and holy God, has made himself known to us and made a way for us to have a relationship with him through Jesus. Praise him. And how can we keep each other accountable to this? Accountable to coming and uh, repenting of our sin? Well, I actually think being vulnerable with each other about our shortfallings and our sin. Find brothers and sisters uh, that you trust and confess your sin to them openly and pray for each other Pray to God that he would forgive us as he has done in Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful as a church if we were really vulnerable with one another? We didn't have the high horse. We were on our high horses thinking that everyone else has it all together, but realizing actually we're all fallen. We all need saving grace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that... Um, despite us falling so far short of your standards. Lord, thank you that you delight in yeah calling us home to yourself. You've made us pure. You've made us clean from our sin in Jesus. Lord, let us never grow weary of this great hope that we have. And Lord, please remind us of this goodness and this grace you've shown to us. Remind us and help us to pray to you, not being ashamed when we come to you, but being glad that we can come and repent before you, knowing that you will forgive us. So Lord, please, would this grow our prayer lives, that they'll become richer, and not just thin prayers that, yeah, stay away from the hard stuff, but prayers that confront our sin and embrace your your kindness. And Lord, would this grow our love for you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen.